0: Hi, I'm Charles Galda, President of Vision New England and your host for the Church in Action Program, where we talk with New England leaders about making disciples who disadvantage themselves for unity and to do justice, which opens doors to sharing Jesus, and that transforms lives in our world. This week, I'm talking with Jonathan Reed. Jonathan is the Executive Director and Founder of Fostering Hope, based in Providence, Rhode Island. Jonathan, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to
1: be with you today.
0: You know, I I shared uh, and have been sharing with folks that we've done uh, this project, I'm calling it the post-pandemic church project for lack of a better term, but it started out with us asking over 100 leaders across New England, what has God been exposing in the church over the last two years? And what should we do about it? And one of the big themes we've talked about uh, in prior episodes was making disciples. Uh, Another big theme we've talked about was uh, healthcare, or, or sorry, mental health. Uh, And another big bucket has been doing justice, because when we make disciples who are willing to disadvantage themselves to do justice, people want to know about Jesus. And so we're going to have a whole series of episodes now on doing justice. And the way we're defining justice is, and I'm stealing this from uh, Dr. Emmett Price, who was on prior prior episodes from Gordon Conwell at the time, uh, is that it's anything that violates the pre-fall order God created. Tim Keller describes it as anything that prevents somebody from living the fullness of life Jesus intends for them in this life. So, two different ways to come at the same thing. But we see over and over again, it opens doors to share Jesus. So, let me start with the question of we work with a lot of human trafficking ministries, and a big target is kids who age out of the foster care system, and there's nothing for them in some states. And they then end up on the streets and within 24 hours, two thirds of them are approached by traffickers. That's a big deal issue for a different episode. <laughs> but but tell when, when we're talking about kids in foster care, are we talking about kids who are in a foster home with a foster parent or parents? Are we talking about group homes, both or something different?
1: Yeah. So right now there's about four hundred and twenty five thousand kids in our country living in the foster care system. Which means they're either living, um, they've been removed from their primary biological caregiver and placed with a family outside of that original family unit. It could be a an extended family member, which they call kinship foster care. It could be in uh, just a you know your what you think of when you think of a foster family, a family receiving kids into their home, or yes, group homes um, where they're spending time in what's called congregate care. Um, in, in New England, there's about 24,000 kids in the system. Uh, 25% of them, about, will need to be adopted. Uh, and about 4 to 5% will end up aging out of the system um, without permanency, reunification, or adoption. Um, now, when you hear those numbers, it's easy to reduce the kids to a statistical category. It's a big number. Um, and it can be very distant and abstract but we have to remember that every one of those kids in new england foster care all 24,000, is an individual one an individual person uniquely created by god in his image and therefore possesses a dignity and a value that you know we believe is not only worthy of our care but really demands our care as people who value the the sanctity of every life
0: and so I'll just round it and say 25,000 kids in new England are now you said a quarter of them though, will need to be adopted. The others won't. Do you mean a quarter will get adopted and the others just won't get adopted? Or do you mean there's some reasons those kids would not be
1: adopted? So about 70, 75% of kids who are in care now will reunify with their biological parents. And let me just say, As an organization, it's really important for us as we work with churches um, that we highlight and prioritize the desire to see as often as possible the family that this child ends up in to be their family of origin. Uh, either through family preservation on the front end or through safe, timely reunification. God's heart and design is for families to be able to be together, and that should be our heart as Christians. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see so many Christians getting into the foster care movement who have a heart to support uh, reunification and even develop relationships with biological family as much as they can and become part of their life. That's a beautiful thing. The 25% are those situations where reunification doesn't end up possible. And so those kids will need to find an adoptable family. So right now there's plenty of kids in the system who, whose parental rights have been terminated of their, of their parents and they're literally waiting for someone to, to open up their home and provide a forever family.
0: And if I'm doing my math right, that's 4,000 kids, right? Who are adoptable, we'll call it that for lack of a better term maybe. Unless you have a better term. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're, they're on the adoption track. Either they're, as I just said, their rights have already been terminated, or they're on track for that. And that's yeah. that's the plan. Um, And they're, they're going to need a family.
0: And so, why, given the Christian exhortation, not just in James, but in plenty of other places, why are there any kids waiting for adoption in the system?
1: That is a great question. And, uh,
0: can you tell? I grew up Irish Catholic, and I know about guilt.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny you ask that because you know most states have what they call recruiters who are paid to um, as a full time job to go find families. In the state of Massachusetts, where we do the most of our work currently, uh, they've gone. They've done an amazing job investing in recruiters. They went from basically zero. Now they have twenty nine recruiters, each representing one of the area offices, and that's their job. And we love them. They're one of our Um, greatest partners in our work is to work with them. But honestly, I don't believe that there should be a need for recruiters Mm -hmm. as a society at large. And just from the Christian community, I feel like um, in light of what you just said, uh, the many passages that call us to this and the most compelling reason is our own experience of God's love uh, personally, you know, the, the logic behind the Christian call to engage in this kind of ministry is Since Jesus moved toward us in our place of need, entered into our uh, affliction to meet us at our greatest point of need, we who've experienced that kind of love and grace, including being adopted into God's family uh, as his children and Jesus being our elder brother, we who've experienced that are compelled by it to be the Mm -hmm. kind of people who move toward others, who enter into affliction in order to uh, engage in sacrificial love. And so but that being the case, you know, in my my opinion is, yes, as long as there's a need, as the Christian community discovers the, the need, we should be knocking on the door of the child welfare agency saying, we heard there's kids who need families. What do we need to do to help meet that need? Um, and that could it's, happen. We could meet it, that need if we did it.
0: It's interesting because I have observed that, uh, and it was, it was surprising to me just how many pastors in New England uh, foster or adopt. Um, and when they do, then it's clearly a bigger thing in their church, right? And you have lots of other families doing the same thing. But I think for most of us, we've never heard a sermon on our need to foster, to support those who do or adopt. And maybe it's too soft and I missed it, but it seems like we don't talk about it enough in the church. Is that, is that fair or is that really more of my background?
1: I think that's true, uh, but I think it's changing. And one of our great joys is to see so many churches beginning to step into this story and to uh, very intentionally begin to talk about it and to um, do what really is the heart of our ministry is to come alongside churches to help them make service to this community a more sustainable part of the DNA of their church. And I think a lot of churches are starting to recognize, okay, we want to make a difference in our community. We want to serve the vulnerable around us, but where do we start? Mm -hmm. and who's a population to begin with. And, you know, when it comes to children who need families, we don't really have to think about that. I mean, that's a biblical category that we're called specifically to care for. Um, And the beautiful thing about entering this space is um, kids in foster care or the foster care system in general is really at the crossroads of virtually every system issue that exists. So you're having this series on issues of justice, and I'm sure you're going to be talking about a lot of different issues. Virtually everyone you will cover at the crossroads are families impacted by those issues and children in those families who may have to be removed temporarily from those families because of some of the issues surrounding justice. And so it's really a beautiful centering issue as you begin to engage the foster care system and build bridges to all the people who are part of that it opens up a lot of other opportunities to uh, impact these other issues of justice as well. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty wide-ranging uh, issue.
0: It, it's interesting. And and so help, help me a little bit. If, uh, how do I get involved in fostering? Is it, is there a standard process? Is it very significantly by state? Where do I go? If I, if I'm hearing this and thinking and want to more information.
1: So you're talking about an individual person who yeah. says, Okay. Yeah. Um, So there's two things I'd say. First of all, and I'll plug this because I think this is the foundation. If you're part of a church community, uh, aside from you personally being involved, um, we would really encourage you to to begin to think about what would it look like for our church community to become more intentional about making this part of the DNA of who we are. We already have a culture. We already have things that are important to us. But if there really are kids in our community, right in our backyard who need families, shouldn't we be doing something and what can we do? And start that conversation. And of course, we would be happy to to, um, come alongside you and and offer support. It's what we love to do. Uh, If you're an individual who's saying, my heart is for this. And by the way, George Barnard did some really interesting research. It's a little bit dated uh, now. It's maybe eight years old. But nationally he found that 31 to 38 percent of practicing christians have seriously considered foster care or adoption and about two and a half to three percent up to five percent have done it which is really high in comparison to the general population so christians are more engaged and more interested in more thinking about this than the you know general population but that's still a big gap between the 31 to 38% Mm -hmm. who thought about it and the the three to five who've done it. So we know that there's a lot of Christians out there who are doing just what you said. They're thinking about it. And for many different reasons there, we find a lot of times they're waiting for the right time. And there's always a reason why it's not the right time. It's never a perfect time. But in the meantime, while we wait for the right time, there's kids in the system waiting for a family. And yeah. so um, there's, there comes a point where we just have to take that step. So that was a long way to get to your, your question, which is what, what do you do? Well, depends where you are in the process. If you're still exploring and need more information, it's a couple of things you can do. Number one, if you know a foster family within your church community or the extended Christian community around you, ask them to, if you could have a, a call or sit down over coffee and just ask them about their experience and get more mm-hmm. information from someone who's involved in it. Um, there's certainly a lot of resources online that you can research as well we would be happy to sit down and and talk with you and answer any questions you have about the process and maybe those questions that are you know you're afraid to ask but they're important to you um uh, we we would be happy so you can go to our website fosteringhope.org and there's a contact form and reach out and someone will reach out to you beyond that if you know i'm ready for the next step yes um your child welfare agency in your community will have a very clear process they often have information sessions that they advertise where they open up to the community and they'll kind of get the ball rolling by attending one of those info sessions um, and tell you all about the process and give you an opportunity to actually apply if you know you're ready to apply, you can just kind of skip the info session process and go right to the application. And a social worker will reach out to you and get the ball rolling. Um, yeah.
0: I, I remember even Connecticut did a session. I don't know how often they do it, but they did a session for church people who want to who are thinking about fostering. Right. So they'll tailor yep. it.
1: Yeah,
0: um, we have the audience in
1: some cases. Absolutely, And we often do info sessions with churches as part of a step um, and sometimes in collaboration with multiple churches in a region. In fact, we have a foster care and adoption seminar, a little plug coming up on April 30th at, uh, being hosted at one of our partner churches in Haverhill mass West church, um, on that, uh, Sunday, Saturday, which will explore the different ways to in- engage. And we're, we've invited folks from child welfare in to explain the process on both adoption and foster care. So there's a lot of ways to find information out. Uh, absolutely.
0: And if you can't find that event, let us know. Uh, Just reach out to Vision New England. You can find emails on our site. We'll get you connected to it, too. Um, And so what are so I'm thinking about it. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit called, a little bit convicted. Um, What support infrastructure is there out there for me? And what are some of the challenges I just need to understand before I go get too deep?
1: Yeah, it is important to go in with your eyes wide open, and a lot of people have a fairy tale kind of view of what it would be like to, you know, have a child come into their home who needs needs a temporary family. Um, and it's important to know that you're entering into a very complex system. You know, a child welfare system that's um, uh, d- does a lot of great things every day to care for vulnerable families, but you know, have way more caseloads uh, on their plate than they can, um, than is healthy for them to have. Um, you've got Uh, family courts. You've got therapeutic and medical systems. And then you've got children in your home who've experienced some type of trauma uh, in their past that is having an effect on their development and oftentimes presents itself in some behaviors and emotions that can be challenging. So all that leads to a a lot of um, uh, unique stressors that can be uh, hard for foster families. So it's important to know that. And that's why talking to people who are involved and preparing well, Will help you enter into the space uh, with success. DCF will provide you, obviously, with a social worker. They'll provide you with training on the front end as part of the licensing process. You will get a stipend from DCF to help pay for the costs of having a child in your care. You will have access to uh, health, state health care for the child you're caring for, uh, support groups, those kinds of things. So there, there are resources available to support you uh, through child welfare agencies. Um, but it's important to Think well about it on the
0: front end, and, and it sounded like I was—I can't remember which state I was looking at—but after we talked the first time, I just started doing a little exploring, and you—you you could see that you know they'll—they give you the stipend is intended to cover education, so there's an education one, there's uh, food, there's clothing, there's medical care, so so they're trying to do it. I don't know how generous that stuff is across states, but they're trying to do it so it's not a financial drain for you, because there's obviously other commitment you have to make. Is that? Did I kind of yeah. read that stuff right?
1: Yeah, that's fair. And and I would say that monthly stipend doesn't necessarily cover the full total of you know the cost that you would maybe invest, but it does. It, it definitely is a huge help and is meant to do that.
0: Now, now, what are some of the things I should be prepared for that I might not be thinking about if I'm not too deep into the, t- into the space?
1: Yeah, I think the number, the two biggest things. Uh, so, so there is a high turnover rate nationally among foster families. Uh, some studies show up to 50% don't continue into their second year, not because they don't want to do foster care, because they just spent a lot of time preparing to be a foster parent. Uh, but because of three things, one, frustration with the very complex system. Number two, lack of personal relational support in their life, a sense that I'm in this alone, and mm-hmm. I need help. And then number three, a lack of training specific to the trauma related needs that kids uh, often have. And so as an organization. We uh, have some programming that really focuses on those second two. Uh, Now we're trying to build bridges and support the foster care system in tangible ways. And our churches are doing an amazing job supporting their local uh, child welfare uh, agencies and social workers. Uh, But we have one program that we help churches establish wraparound support teams uh, that provide relational support for fostering and adoptive families in an accountable way. And some research has shown that when families have that kind of wraparound support, uh, the number that continues into year two goes from about 50 percent to upper 80s, low 90s, because they're they're not doing it alone. And that's something the church is so good at. That's, yeah. that's that should be our bread and butter. One another and, and ministry.
0: What, what are a couple of examples of wraparound services then that churches are providing?
1: So we, we have a formal uh, program called Support One that identifies uh, particular roles that people on a team would have. And so one would be an encourager who taps into their spiritual gift of encouragement to just speak life and encouragement into the family in real tangible, practical ways. Another one is the helper, finding practical ways to just tangibly help the family and lighten their load. So for example, hey, what's a, a couple nights of the month that are really hard for you? Extra appointments, people in your home. Would a meal help on that night? We'll make sure that every month you can count on a meal that night um, mm-hmm. or other types of tangible helps. Then the number one thing that families need is childcare support. Mm-hmm. So that um, we, we want our families to have at least two nights or time frames a month where they can count on having coverage so that they can, if they're married, have date nights to kind of prioritize their marriage. Um, or maybe be part of a community group or just run errands or go to the beach and meditate, whatever you want to do. Um, And those things in sum total, while each one might be small, they're really powerful ways of supporting a family. And here's the really cool thing. It provides a real on-ramp for other people in the church who say, I I have a heart for kids in foster care, but I just can't foster right now. Is there anything Mm -hmm. I can do? Oh, I could support a foster family in an organized way. I'd love to do that. And it empowers people in the church who sees that to say, oh, if I'm going to be supported like that, maybe I can take the courageous step of being Mm -hmm. a foster family. And one last little detail, about 35% of people who serve on a wraparound team end up becoming a foster or adoptive family because they become so close to the kids and they see um, this in action that they say, why am I not doing this. And so they take that next step, which is a real powerful thing.
0: Well, it's the same old story. We've seen it over and over again, and it's in the Bible, right? Is when we disadvantage ourselves to serve and love others, we're blessed too. Yes. Right. And that's going to make me want to step in more. And so I heard three spaces. I heard adoptive care we need to be thinking about. I've heard fostering is something we need to be thinking about. And I've heard wraparound services are things we need to be thinking about and questioning whether God is calling and convicting me to do something personally in this space. Did I capture it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. So, uh, when we get to, when we work with churches, we are about culture, right? We, we want to, we have the motto, not everyone can do everything or the same thing, but everyone can do something meaningful. So a big part of our work for churches who really want to make this part of the culture is help them establish multiple entry points for people to be able to step into the story at a place that aligns with their current gifting and capacity. So there's, mm-hmm. there's service-based opportunities that meet tangible needs of of professionals and families in the foster care community, but that are real low commitment, right? Uh, Donating to a drive for clothing, participating in a service event one weekend that blesses the community. That's easy entry point. Prayer, being part of a prayer team. Then there's wraparound support or other types of engagement that's a little bit higher level of commitment. And then there's the highest level, which is inviting kids into your home. So we invite, individuals to think about what's your fit in foster care. And then we invite churches to say, Hey, every church can do something. So what can we as a church do based on our size, our location, our resources, our vision and mission. Um, and that's a big part of it.
0: And I heard you say one thing fostering hope wants to, cause I want to make sure we get, get in there, all the things you do. One thing fostering hope does is if you're interested in pursuing this, you can contact us and you're going to help me through that process you're caring for, supporting, and loving the uh, DCF workers around New England. Um, and what else do you do?
1: So, and we, well, we do, um, one of our big uh, programs now is also providing evidence-based trauma-informed caregiver training for caregivers and professionals. We've introduced uh, about a thousand caregivers and professionals over the last few years to practical knowledge and tools about how to provide healing care for kids who've experienced trauma. So that's become a big part of it. And we also do that with churches, helping lead churches to become what we call trauma wise, so that mm-hmm. as they invite their families to step into foster care, their their children's and youth ministry really is a safe place for them. And so that's a big part of it. But let me just say, um, you know, our operational vision is that every child welfare office in New England would have a network of churches around them committed to serving the need in their own community, taking ownership of who are the kids in our community who need families? Who are the social work uh, professionals who need support and encouragement? And how can we do that as individual churches, doing our own kind of finding our own place, but then as a network of churches together, um, collaborating for greater impact. And it's been really powerful to see um, what the churches have been doing and how receptive child welfare has been to their engagement.
0: I was going to say exactly that uh, just as we wrap up the what, what we have this vision sometimes or perception sometimes when we're Christians, the government doesn't like us. And there's some reasons why people have that. And it's not entirely unfounded. But when we collaborate with government to help them do the things they're doing, that they're just not resourced and capable of doing all suddenly they love us and they welcome us in, even though they disagree with us on so many things. And it sounds like that's your experience, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. On both sides. There's can be skepticism and as we get to know each other and see each other as real people and as the church has come with a real humble posture with no agenda other than we're here to love, serve and support you, how can we do that best? And uh it's it's been remarkable, you yeah. know
0: that how can we serve you best? That sounds like a Christian principle. I'd say so. so. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us and sharing this, but thank you for the ministry too. Uh, And uh, and I'd like to thank our our producer, Jessica Mangano. I'd like to thank our listeners. If you feel called and convicted um, or just questioning, it's Fostering Hope. And what's the URL? Where's the website, Jonathan? Fosteringhope.org. There you go. Fosteringhope.org. If you have any trouble finding it, let us know and we'll get you connected. I'm so excited to tell you we have a really special guest who'll be with us. Johnny Erickson Tata is going to be uh, on the Church in Action program with us Sunday at two on Life Changing Radio. I think everybody knows Johnny Erickson Tata, but for those who don't, she is amazing to listen to. I remember the first time I heard her years ago uh, in Dallas. Uh, I remember Uh, People who told me that she spoke 20 years ago at Congress and left a mark that impacted them to this day. Uh, She is phenomenal and she will give us insights into how we can engage uh, and truly be the church, loving and serving and sacrificing for the weakest among us and why we can't be the church if we're not doing that. Uh, When we are the people of God doing the work of God in our communities, It transforms lives and and the world. And you can visit us at visionnewengland.org for past episodes, other resources, and to click donate to partner with us to accelerate evangelism in New England. Our program is brought to you by our friends at the Luis Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you, and thanks for listening.